Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. I'm very excited today to be talking with a really uh, wonderful friend of mine and someone who just does amazing work in this world. So today, I'm happy to introduce you to Todd Malloy, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, certified sexuality educator, founder of Inner Peace Counseling Center, the Provincial Wealth Center, of excellence, of personal, emotional, and sexuality development. Todd was voted as one of the top three marriage and family therapists in Charlotte, North Carolina. He served for a time being on the teaching staff of the University of Michigan Sexual Health Certificate Program, which is where he and I met as students. As I said before, he is a friend of mine and someone who I admire and look to for guidance and wisdom. Todd's mission is to help people give themselves permission to be that person they are on the inside that doesn't always manifest outwardly. I have experienced this personally in our friendship and as a colleague. Todd has a way of seeing you and being an encourager and advocate. I am so very grateful to get to spend time with him today. Reframing Our Stories, we offer sexual health education for the family in our table talk sessions. Parents, you help customize the lessons by choosing the topics, and then I teach your children and their friends. These sessions are a bridge to help you further communicate with your child without shame. To find out more how I can help your family, please contact us through our website, www.reframingourstories.com. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited that we get to spend time together today. Well, I'm, a, I'm honored that you, you're inviting me. So I'm a, I'm a fan of yours. So thank you very much. <laughs> and I am as of yours as people heard in the intro. <laughs> 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 so Todd, I ask many who are in this profession, but tell me what made you decide to become a sex therapist and an educator? Because not many are sex therapists and educator combined. Well, I have I have a passion for people. You know, I grew up thinking I didn't like people, mm-hmm. but but I found out that life is very fragile in the course of my life. Oh. And because it was so fragile and just varying experiences that I've had. I wanted to be a part of the solution to the ills of society. Mm-hmm. So this is the best way that I could do that and, and offer from an academic perspective, from an experiential perspective, to be able to connect to people varying genders, orientations, et cetera, mm-hmm. to help them normalize their life and allow them to create an environment that allows them to celebrate life as opposed to dredge it. So this is my opportunity to give back and be a part of the solution to the varying crossroads of life. That's amazing. So tell, speak to us more then about then why the niche of sex, of helping, of tying all that that you just said together, of concentrating well, on that subject. Well, think about it this way. Um, sex, sexuality it's really just another window or medium to see into the person. You know, too oftentimes people hear what I do and they think it's tawdry. Oh my God. Or they think I'm a freak. Or right. <laughs> Oh my God, you know, all this stuff, you do all of it. No, I don't do all of it. I may know some of it, <laughs> but I don't do all of it. Right. But, but it's another way of seeing into a person. Think about this. We are every, you know, I recognize there's debates about a number of things, Mm -hmm. but there's enough religiously and scientifically to prove that we're sexual beings. Yes. Mm -hmm. And think about this as intimate as sexuality, intimacy, and all that is to us for us to be dysfunctional in that arena 
it really uh, uh, resonates throughout every other dimension of your life. So if you can't be comfortable with yourself in your most intimate setting, that means even fully clothed and when you're publicly presenting, that means you're not fully comfortable there either. And I, and I like to deal with the whole person, the core of the person and have them deal with self first and become whole and complete in self. And that innately will project outwardly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that has been really the best way someone has said this so far, you know, just it encompasses so much of our life, but I feel most people don't recognize that. Do you believe that too? Oh, very true, because we've made it taboo, we've made it tawdry, we've made it dirty, as opposed to a self-expression and and coping mechanism, a pleasure, a joy, an out-of-body experience, a godlike experience that's available to all of us if we allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. However, but with all of the isms and stereotypes and family of origin issues, that's hindered our authentic self to really connect to ourselves, our body, our sensuality in the healthiest of way and to express ourselves. Uh, so it's hindered that, that, that ability. And we have the opportunity of connecting to people, to normalize it, to allow people to applaud themselves, their sexuality, their bodies, their whole essence, because they were fearfully and wonderfully made. So how dare we think otherwise? Yes, I have that tattooed on my skin. (laughs) Exactly. No, but it's true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. So just because someone else doesn't see the beauty of who I am doesn't make me beautiful. It just makes you not informed. Not informed. <laughs> you just that did. Truth? You just yeah. you just didn't get the memo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I feel like we all need to wear T-shirts that says, "I'm sorry, but you've just not been informed." <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Because um, you know we're all uniquely flawed. We're all perfectly flawed. Yeah. For a reason, because, you know, one of the things I've noticed that the way you know something synthetic versus something that's that's original or real mm-hmm. is because there are flaws in what's real. Mm-hmm. The diamond, the leather coat you want, whatever it is you're looking for, if it is if it is, it is common to nature, if it is, is built through natural forces of life. They're imperfections, but the imperfections are the character. Mm. So what you remember, Bible's clear, says what people what people think were for shame, it's for God's glory. Hmm. Because see, it's difficult to connect to somebody that's not human. That is true. If you haven't had testimonies, your tenderizer and all of these things, yeah. how can you connect to the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. And isn't it fascinating then? with you saying that how often we are trying to constantly perfect ourselves. I exactly. Feel like that's, I think one of the, maybe the biggest flaws I think within the social media world is the fact that we apply filters to everything Oh, very in the way so. for us to perfect or hide the flaws instead of, I think like you're saying, there's a, a reason to, I don't know, to celebrate them, but to recognize them and, to, I mean, if we're constantly trying to overshadow them or not like learning from them or growing with them. Exactly. And therefore, right. And therefore we don't have the quality of life we're looking for, but the experiences and the pains that we've come across are really about the lesson that we've learned and how do we take that lesson and move forward and allow what, what seemed to be daunting or very challenging, but really be a lesson to propel you forward. Mm. That's awesome. I love, I'm just like holding and cradling everything you just said. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. So with that in mind, Mm -hmm. what are some of the overarching themes that you see come in as a sex therapist in your office? It's the narrative that we create. Uh, The narrative is one of bondage versus one of being propelled in power. For example, uh, I've had quite a few clients that have been the, uh, what's the best way to put this? I don't like the word victim, but they have been molested or raped by family members, by close friends, acquaintances, or strangers. Mm -hmm. And 
this particular individual I'm talking about, Karen, uh, she's about a uh, 40-year-old Asian woman. And she was telling me the traumatic story of her life. And I said, and I said, hmm, wow, you're a very powerful person. Hmm. And she looked at herself as though, oh, no, um, well, no, think of all of what you've been carrying all of these years. Hmm. You have been carrying the weight of other people's pain and perversion. Wow. I said, what if you chose not to give them that type of power in your life and recognize that you've been victorious through some of the most heinous adversity? How would that help you? Hmm. See, remember, I said, those people that may have hurt you or scarred you don't remember your name right now. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Why are you still giving them power? Why are you choosing to carry the burden that they were not willing to carry on their own and project to you, why did you use that moment to take it and walk with it as opposed to recognize that that was a moment in time and that you are victorious in the midst of persevering through that and not allowing it to tarnish the rest of your life, but allow you to be more powerful and more prudent. Therefore, when you come across other adversities, hey, you don't know where I've been. You can't stop me. Your will should be able to push you. But if can you write the story where you're victorious as opposed to carrying a carrying it as a shame, a scarlet letter, or, or coming with the mindset you're a victim? Yeah, interesting. But my belief is, is that at this point of life, anyone we're talking to, there's no such thing as failure. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're still here. Mm-hmm. Failure, failure is a false construct. Mm-hmm. No, it's the lessons learned. How if I take the lesson and move forward because I haven't failed because I still have the ability to achieve, to grow, to learn, to breathe. Right. So, but am I constructing that mentally such that it cultivates for me what I want or as opposed to carrying a weight and a burden or a cloud over my head all day, every day? Yeah. You know, I have a woman that is a woman that has had this perennial. She's never needs, told that. Oh, this perennial. I'm sorry. Painful sex. Yes. She has vaginal pain during sex. Yes. And for eight years, she's been married and never told her husband. Wow. Mm-hmm. She just prays for it to be over. Uh, so, as a, yeah. and I asked her a question. I said, I said, where did you learn not to value yourself? Who taught you that? Hmm. I said, because this is the most sacred part and intimate part you have to offer, and you're not comfortable enough with yourself to share with your husband that this is uncomfortable and find a solution. So you, it's eight years, and you told me just because I began to ask sexual questions. Wow. It wasn't organically given. And so now we're talking about building her self-esteem, her value, even though we came for painful sex. Mm-hmm. And now it turned out to be not about self-value. Yeah. Yeah. It's changing, as you said, changing the narrative. So how have people been able to hear that? Like when you say to them, instead of sometimes we get stuck right in our places of feeling like you said, you Mm -hmm. know, like the word of being a victim and things like that. But um, when you've talked about it and say it differently of like, you are powerful. Mm -hmm. Has that, have you seen a change then? Oh, very very much so because what it does is stimulate avenues of thought. Part of my responsibility and my role is to challenge or what I call plow ground. Challenge the thoughts that you've come in and wonder if they're really relevant to who you are and applicable to who you are today. Mm. A lot of the message we carry are not relevant to today. Mm. Because remember, we, we function as though life is static, but we all know that it is very dynamic. I wasn't always this great. I didn't always have hair on my chin. <laughs> <laughs> it's, life is ever-changing. It's extremely dynamic. Yes. And we should be consistently challenging ourselves is where I am and, and what I believe relevant to who I am, where I and where I am and where I'm going in my life. So, you know, there was at one point the DSM, you know, the, the holy grail of mental health and medical professionals, mm-hmm. 
used to say that homosexuality was a mental health disorder. We've right. evolved since then. Right. Right. So, however, some of us still hold the old family of origin mindsets about sexuality, sensuality, and all of these things. Exactly. And again, I, I had a 48-year-old man said to me that he was a virgin until he was 40. Hmm. Because sex was a bad thing. Wow. Yeah. He was taught through church. It was a bad thing. So I, in turn, did a PowerPoint presentation because the church was bold enough to invite me to yes. talk about sex mm -hmm. for two hours. So I put together a PowerPoint presentation and put biblical scripture that God really doesn't have an issue with sensuality, sexuality. It's all in the book. Talks about pleasure, procreation, all of these things. Yes. In a healthy way, I said, if there are any issues, it's really one of timing. Hmm. But it's not about sex because you have the songs of Solomon. He tells you to be fruitful and multiply. He tells you a married bed is undefiled. So why do we just want to have missionary sex once we get married? <laughs> when he said, if a married bed is undefiled, that sounds to me as though as long as we agree into what's going on in the room, it sounds like a good it's thing. Fine. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Not heard that yet. Right, right. So, yeah. so as we, as we, as we, as I begin to challenge people's uh, individuals' thought processes mm -hmm. and ask why they believe what they believe and how relevant is that to who you are today? Yeah, that's just like saying, "Hey, babies come from the stork," but I'm I'm 30 now, saying, "Okay, they come from the stork." No, your body's taught you some old new things. You recognize it's a whole different experience. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. was relevant before you had a frame of reference, but now that you have a frame of reference, you have to let that go and move forward. And I challenge people all day, every day, is to challenge themselves to move forward by connecting with their bodies, connecting with their own experience, and allow that to initiate communication. Mm -hmm. as opposed to their intellect. Mm. Because if, if I connect to my body, I connect to my experience, and then I run it through the jaded filters of my brain, what comes out of my mouth won't be a pure reflection of my experience. So how do you help people get to their body? Well, number of things. The number of things is by taking a shower, but as opposed to taking a shower, a little simple body work. By taking a shower, as opposed to just washing, scrubbing, being in and being out, mm -hmm. is actually take the time to slow down and let the water hit your body mm -hmm. and follow a drop of water, the temperature, speed, and pressure hit your body and how it drizzles across your body. Mm -hmm. As you're washing your body, pay attention to the pressure, texture, and speed, whether you're washing yourself with your hand, a loofah, a towel. But noticing that each of your areas of your body feels different. You can use the same pressure and temperature, but it's different because you'll find that where skin is thin, the nerve endings are more sensitive. It's easier to arouse it. But where skin is thick, you have to apply more pressure for it to be, to resonate with your body well. Right. Then also with uh, with couple work, then once they become familiar with their own bodies, we'll do a sensate focus mm -hmm. drills, and then we'll do shared experiences. Sensate focus being basically for lay people is basically full body massage without touching hot spots. Right. We're not doing it for for intercourse. We're doing it to create connection, connection. emotional connection. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So by slowly, you you know your body. You're teaching your partner your body and you're open to learning your body and understanding that intimacy is not about a mission and an orgasm. Exactly. No, it's yeah. about a full body experience because the largest sex organ is the skin. And wherever there's a nerve ending, there's arousal. Mm -hmm. Off too often when I have these clients come in that are one partner may not be as experienced as the other. But uh, once we start learning, what is your body equation? And I have these little maps, gingerbread people with the front and back. And you just start noticing, you highlight all of your erogenous zones and things, you know, excite you. Mm -hmm. But no matter how versed people are, most people, they don't know their bodies well. Yeah. They've, I've shared with them, no, you've been a pawn in other people's game hoping for the best. Right. <sighs> right. So, mm -hmm. so unless you teach someone how to care for you, no one will ever know. They'll just be guessing. Mm -hmm. So you have to be open to learn, but also be open to teach. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But you can only do that until you're comfortable enough with yourself and can connect to yourself to offer that opportunity for that out-of-body experience. I think it's so important because I feel, you know, basically you're inviting people to slow down and be exactly. mindful. And because so often I exactly. feel we are taught, right, to race through the sexual experiences for mm-hmm the goal line of the orgasm and different things. And I know I too have been telling people to, um, you know, don't reach, don't be so quick for the orgasm, right? What Uh happens to people when you explain that to them? Because most of us think of sex and you're like, well, I just have to get that orgasm. And then people feel really upset when that doesn't come for some, but being able to take away that frame of reference and narrative how has that changed since? Well, I do a couple of things. Number one, first of all, there's enough research that says that um, women can have a, a healthy sexual experience without having an orgasm. So, number one, I say that to guys, and I say it with their female partners in the room, such that the guy can get folks stop stop being will be less in his brain. Mm-hmm. and more about connecting to the experience because he's wondering if she's having a good time. And we recognize intimacy is neck up, not waist down. So if I'm thinking about whether you're having a good time, I'm actually thwarting the experience. I'm not really connected to my body. I'm thinking it. Now I lose my erection or I have premature ejaculation. Mm. Either way, I feel like a schmuck at the end. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to making it a full body experience. And I, what I tend to do and what I did in, in a seminar that I did was I gave everybody a peanut. And I said, go ahead, just throw a peanut in your mouth, shoot up. I didn't, I asked about the allergies. So once I got the pass that everybody was okay, I gave them a peanut. I said, just chew the experience. I said, that's a mission. Chewing the peanut and swallowing is a mission. Mm-hmm. That's focused on orgasm. Now what I want you to do mm-hmm. is I had Hershey's kisses. And I said, I want you to take the Hershey's kiss and put it on your tongue. Now, don't chew it, don't bite it, don't swish it around. Just let it sit on your tongue. Let the saliva just slowly melt it. And once the saliva is starting to melt, to melt the chocolate, and I just want you to swish it around your mouth. I said, now, just do that until you're done. I waited till everybody was done. And I said, that's allowing intimacy to be an experience, a mm-hmm. full body, outer course, inner course, foreplay, afterplay experience. Which one do you prefer? Hmm. Everybody said the chocolate. Yeah, I would think so. Right. Do you believe that there's hesitation, though, even for people to enter into that space of learning how to fully be mindful and engaged in that process? Well, yeah, very much so. I I find people are having... challenges getting past their ego and what they've been learned in the locker room or from unaware people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I find a lot of my, a lot of my time is spent dispelling myths. And one of the reasons of not just being a therapist and having these interventions, I think it's important to explain. Mm-hmm. It's easier to get buy-in from someone when they understand the underpinning. You can throw a whole lot of things at people But if they don't have the underpinning, it's hard for them to really walk in it and claim it as their own. Mm -hmm. So being both a sex therapist and a sexuality educator allows me to blend it. So now we're talking, but I'm educating you. So you're not just doing it because Todd said so. Right. You're giving them tangible. Exactly. Yeah. Giving them tangible information of which they get by and what they get by and they're actually willing to go and do the work. You know, you have guys, you know, I oftentimes ask partners, have you, you know, and, and I'll, I ask you a little more with a little more finesse. But when I ask them, I say, does your partner know how to sexually intimately satisfy you? And you got the guys popping their collars and they flexing their muscles like they're King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you all, I always t- tend to look at the woman and she's like, mm-hmm. 15 years in, he don't have a clue. Oh, gosh. You know, it's like, how have you asked? People don't know to ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm a guy just supposed to know. Right. And unfortunately, women believe that, too. Well, he's a guy. He's supposed to know. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, 
Your body is not like anybody else's body he's been with. You may have similar pieces and parts, but the, the, nobody's penis is the same. Nobody's vaginal tract is the same depth. You know, one the, 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 the boobs may not be perfectly symmetrical. They may not be erogenous zones for some people. Right. So unless you're willing to be open to teach, you're setting yourself up to fail and you're setting your partner up to be, you know, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed and you're setting your partner up to fail. And it's not because they have to be that way. It's because to some degree we're intimately lazy, but we're taught that way. Remember, That's we're correct. taught to be, yeah. we're taught to be outstanding students. We're taught to be outstanding professionals when it comes to intimate relationships. You got pieces and parts. I got pieces and parts. Let's throw them together. Hope for the best. It's so true. And I feel like that's the biggest thing I say to parents. It's like we are focused so much on their academic, uh, academic success and their education. And we take all the moment, time in the world to figure out where they're going to go to school and these things. And I go, but we are forgetting mm-hmm. and um, not advocating for this comprehensive sex education, for talking about communication, learning the emotional skills that we need. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because our relationships, our bodies are what foster who we are and any sort of healthy relationship that Mm -hmm. we want to be in. And those are the places we need to start putting our emphasis. Right. Well, our children are taught your private parts are supposed to be private, but I always tell my clients, they're not supposed to be private to you. You're supposed to explore. And how how do you know how you want a person to touch you down there if you never touch yourself? How are you going to teach it? Exactly. Yeah, they can't, right? Exactly. And I think, so how do you help couples then get to a place where they're able to have these conversations since we're we're not taught that we can Mm -hmm. have them and some of us don't know our parts or weren't given the freedom, like you said, to even touch them because some people are filled with so much shame around that area? Correct, correct. So how do you get them to the point where they're able to uh, start exploring themselves and then start asking for well, what they need. I think it starts with the therapist. It starts with me being comfortable in the conversation. Yeah. Dispelling myths, challenging ideologies and where does it come from, how is it relevant. Mm-hmm. But then initiating the conversation in session. Mm-hmm. So even if someone is hesitant because of blast, why would why would it be why would you be ashamed or embarrassed to share your interest, your passion, your wants, desires with someone that's already seen you naked, you have children, and you've committed your life to them. Mm-hmm. What's going on inside of you that even in the midst of all of the vulnerability and the transparency, yeah. you're still not willing to be vulnerable there? Why? Mm-hmm. Then we'll work, we'll work with that. Mm-hmm. Then they'll talk, then you then people start to reveal some of the messages that they got about sensuality, sexuality, and all of those things. So when I first meet someone, we talk about sex first day. Okay. Even though I do a full family of origin, but I tap into when did you when did you initially come up with the construct of sex that there was such a thing? Not that you did it. Right. But, but when was it, it when did it even exist? And was it a good thing or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Why? Why not? Yada yada. Uh, in addition to that, what was your first sexual experience? Was it choice, coercion, or something else? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of your relationship, did you have more casual relationships or more committed relationships? Why? Why not? Yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So once we, from day one, we begin to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. If, and if the therapist is comfortable with it, you can and. And you're asking permission. Hey, is it okay that we talk about this? Do you mind if I ask you a question? Hey, I'd like to ask you a question. Can I ask you a question about sensuality, sex, or your pleasure, whatever the case may be? Once you're getting the permission, getting I'm comfortable in it, I'm asking permission of the clients to go down this path. And as long as you're respectful about it, they become comfortable because, again, this is oftentimes the first place that they've ever been able to have such free conversation. Yeah. You know, because if you go into the locker room and go to the barbershop, every man is hung to his ankles and knocking them <laughs> down and he's 90 years old. Uh, even though I know better than that, I sit in there and let everybody lie. 
you know, every woman had is a vixen. Every yeah. woman is a vixen and she does everything and so <laughs> forth. And then you talk to the partner. It's just like, man, I she don't initiate. She don't do this. She won't do that. She won't. But however, but if you talk, oh, girl, I'm running my house. I'm just I got it. Oh, I he's having a hard time walking. But you saw it walk by you because he went to the kitchen, grabbed some food. But exactly. <laughs> hysterical. Right. We 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 continue to tell untruths. Yes, we do. We're, we're not willing to be vulnerable mm-hmm. because I can't be seen as not perfect. Mm-hmm. But again, perfection. if we were, but nobody is perfect. We're all we're all doing the best we can to get by, and hopefully grab enough information and data so we can be successful in whatever our journey is. So overall, because you had talked about how you help change the narrative for people, Mm -hmm. but overall, when you ask people about how they learned about sex or their thought about sex, Mm -hmm. more often than not, what are they saying in your office? Well, um, it varies. Some people thought it was awful. It was like the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Why? Because their parents slept in twin beds. They never saw their parents together. They never said them hug. And they went, they were religious people that went to church. Church was a bad thing. So, and then this particular gentleman, he was a virgin when he went to the Navy, he goes to the Navy. They said, you can't be on the ship a virgin. So they forced him to be with a prostitute. No way. Then for the whole time he was in the military, he slept with prostitutes. Then he gets married to a woman that's comfortable with her body and comfortable wow. with her sexual self. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to have sex because he doesn't know what to do with her. And he doesn't feel comfortable because now it's not mechanical. Now it's emotional. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a whole other ball game, right? Right. But then he just says, hey, I don't know how to do this. Sex was always a bad thing. And. I was forced to do it, and everything I did was professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, how do I now connect? And add, now I'm 35 years old. I'm 35 years old. Now, how do I reprogram my brain? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a shared experience of which you collaborate between the two of them and and have interventions and 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 begin to breathe life into one another and and give and give truths to dispel whatever myths they perceive. Right. Uh, then you also have the clients that say, well, I didn't think sex was a good thing or a bad thing. It was just, you know, it was something. Mm-hmm. But there was nowhere to get education. Exactly. Or they get it from a porn video. Exactly. And we all know for porn videos are acting. That's act. Yeah. And those, four, and you know, everybody heard Sting when he said he had four hours worth of sex. And everybody said, oh my God, he must be a stud. But it wasn't four hours of penetrative sex here. We're talking about a full body experience, probably more tantra-like than right. porn-like. Right. But people will get a little bit of information and just turn it into whatever, whatever they, they want. Whatever they need it to be for them. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah. it's about telling the truth. So it, it's, it's, again, allowing people to share their stories and then saying, hmm, how's that working for you now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's not getting you the results you, you're looking for, how about now let's do some different things, deconstruct some things. So now you can achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter the story. But most people, even young women, haven't even had sex talk with their parents, with their mothers. Mm. They had no cycle talk. Yeah. I've had more, I've had more often than not, I have clients that have had no formal education or no one to sit down and talk. It was on the job training. You just kind of faked it till you can make it. That is, I think, something that continues to baffle me every day. The fact that we're all sexual beings, the fact that we're all are experiencing something within our bodies related to fluids or something, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Out of our bodies. And we're just like, let's just go ahead and not talk about that. You know, like for, for, I mean, come on, it's year 2021 and we are still having these conversations and advocating of how we have to talk about it. Right. You know, I just applaud with our growing field and with the efforts that ASAC and other organizations are making is to do, you know, to change some things. 
Yeah. But, you know, even though we're out here doing what we do, we still have to dispel the myths of the media and everyday society because they're still propagating that misinformation. Um, and, you know, we have to begin to begin to take different platforms, different mediums, and, and make sure we have louder voices so we can equally be heard. Exactly. I know. I feel like that's the challenge, but I also feel like when we allow the space for people, I think like you have said, I'm sure like when you have that space that people experience in your office and you create uh, an experience that's nourishing and caring, mm-hmm. then people are like, let's go. Let's, you know, right. tell me no, more, tell me I, more. Right. Right. No, my, my client, my clients are having better qualities of life because sex and sexuality are quality of life issues. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's directly related to the quality of life mm-hmm. and their quality of lives are becoming better. I have clients that, that have been married 11 years or uh, I have one client, they married 16 years and they, they said this was a, our 17th wedding anniversary was the happiest and most pleasant and exciting wow. because we connected like we've never connected before. Okay. And I consistently hear that. Now we're, we're, we're remember, I always say with truth, Intimacy, you need trust, vulnerability, and safety. Mm-hmm. And those things are really hard for many of us, right? Correct. So now, but so therefore, I, I challenge my clients when I'm looking at trust, trust, safety, and vulnerability. Where are they? And if they're shaken in the relationship, that's hindering the quality of their life and experiences. And it's not just about the emotional connection that we seek. It's not just done through penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. Penetrative sex is just another way of feeling emotionally connected. But what we do is we expand the breadth of how we can create emotional, intimate connection. Now, however it manifests, great. Mm-hmm. But it can be toys. It can be penis, you know, vaginal penetration. It could be anal work, whether you're heterosexual or not. It's about nerve endings. Right. You know, even when I went to the church and I, and one of the church mothers surprisingly asked me about anal sex. I said, well, I know how the church feels about this, so don't stone me, but I'm a scientist. (laughs) But I just said, just as in the introitus, the entrance of the female vaginal tract has a lot of nerve endings in it. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the, 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 the rimming of the anus has a lot of nerve endings. And where there's nerve ending, there's stimulation. And it's not about a, your sexual orientation. It's about expression and allowing your body to do what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, they all looked at They received it. You know, they didn't stone me. So I guess I made it out the room safe. <laughs> That's great. I have not had, I mean, you know, I go and talk with churches, but I have mm-hmm. not had um, someone openly talk or ask questions about anal sex. Like I have talked about it in such a way, mm-hmm. you know, as a form of sex, right? And right. when we are defining sex and different things, but mm-hmm. never someone... To right. No, I was shocked. It was the church. And I guess the church mother, she was a, you know, obviously she was a woman well in her seventies at least. And because I guess because she asked the question, nobody's going to say anything to a church mother. Right. Well, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. But she was bold enough to ask the question. I said, well, if you're bold enough to ask, I'm bold enough to answer. I, that's great. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I love, I've had a pastor friend of mine tell me that one of the women in his church, who's in her eighties, went up to him and said, do you know what dildos are? <laughs> and he was like, all right, we're having this conversation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for this, but if we're here, I guess I'll have to come. <laughs> so, which is good for people to know, right? Like, I also feel like we also sometimes, uh, even with our uh, aging population, don't always uh, think about them being sexually active. Right. And I know, you know, things. someone we know very well, Sally Foley. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of research on seniors and sex and having healthy sex lives past the age of 85. Yeah. Right. Cool. So what it is is that, remember, 
Sexuality is fluid throughout the life cycle. Mm -hmm. Nobody eats spaghetti every day. Mm -mm. So it's going to shift. It's going to change as your body is changing and so forth. So there's always new normals. So, hey, I may not have a, uh, a 18-year-old erection, but I, but, but I have better, more experience and skill with a lesser erection, but I can do more work with it. Because yeah. I have I have a knowledge that I didn't have at 18. <laughs> I have a resume, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, now I can explore other parts of my body. Now I'm looking for it to be a full experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And not just a mission. Mm-hmm. Now I understand what it's about and about connecting emotional connection, not just the moving of pieces and parts. Mm-hmm. It's about an emotional connection and that emotional connection with the moving of physical pieces and parts is what actually stimulates the God experience where two can come together and be one, mm-hmm. which facilitates longer sexual activity. Why? Because now it's not performance based. So then men mm-hmm. being emotionally connect- connected are less likely to have premature ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good to hear for people, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's an invi- exactly. Another so, invitation. Right. If you, if you, if you make it about performance and I'm listening for her to make the sound like the porn people made or make yeah. the facial expression that they saw on porn or squirt or whatever, Mm-hmm. How are you really connected and engaged in the experience? Mm-hmm. No, you're making it about performance. Mm-hmm. And as soon as things don't work out and you begin to lose your erection, you go, oh, Hades. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you do that, you check just your brain out. Then, exactly. then, you, then it's just a humiliating and embarrassing moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do think porn has had a huge influence, especially with our young people around, ex- you know, mm-hmm. what their expectations are around how sex should look and feel exactly how they're supposed to perform. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Whereas no, how about letting, allowing it to be organic, you connect to the experience and stay with the truth of the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's about, I feel like we need so much work on being present, even in our, Oh, very much so. Very much so. We're distracted. In so many areas, and I feel like sex is another one of the places where we... Oh, think about this, particularly with, with you know, uh, I'll, I'm, I'm not poking, but I'm, I'm going to tease you being <laughs> being married with young children. Oh, yeah. You you and your husband, like you said, you and your husband during this pandemic time have probably had two breaks for about four hours. Yes. So that, mean, so that means even when we want to be intimate, you got kids knocking at the door. Hey, we oh, they'll be looking for us in a few minutes. I remember it because I raised four kids. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like everything is rushed. You got to get it in or you ain't going to get it in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always something to do. Mm-hmm. When do you when are you taught to just sit down, connect to your own experience and right. that you you. Remember, self-care. I'm big on self-care, and I share this with individuals, couples, myself. We have to learn how to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Why? I know I know. we've been taught that selfish is a bad thing, but it's actually not. Mm-hmm. It's the right thing. It's not selfishness within itself. It's the motive. If mm-hmm. I need to rest so that I can get you somewhere safe tomorrow, and I tell you, no, I'm not taking you out tonight, mm-hmm. it's because I'm there's a specific reason I'm being selfish in this moment exactly. because I already know that I've hit my limit. And if I push myself anymore, I will set you up for failure later. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that I use it, I give it both secularly and religiously. You know, I say, think about this. The Bible teaches us to be safe, to be selfish, even though people don't, we don't call it out. Mm-hmm. Physician heal thyself first. Mm. When they had the fishes and the loaves, you have people following Jesus and the disciples three, four days having eaten. They see the Jesus feed the disciples first with fish and loaves. You know how people feel about fried fish. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I could only imagine the murmuring that was going on as we've yeah. been following y'all, waiting for you to do something great. Now you're just sitting in front of us eating while we're hungry. Mm. But meanwhile, some but, but <laughs> think about it. Right. Now think about this. But had the disciples didn't eat, there wouldn't have been a remnant and they would not have had the strength to pick everything up to feed. Exactly. 
peace be still, you know, when the church is jumping and shouting, God bless church people. I'm a Christian. And I jumped and shouted to when he said Jesus had power. And he said, peace be still in the atmosphere and confounded the wilds and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. However, people fail to recognize that was a rebuke. Mm. Jesus was asleep at the belly of the ship. They said, let us go to the other side. He was sleeping in the belly of the ship. Jesus was asleep because he recognized there was a work to do. If they were true disciples, they should have been asleep. Interesting. Yeah. Right. But they went to the top of the ship. They they see the storm. They get tossed to and fro. Then they go down and wake him up. You ever been woken up from a good sleep? You know how yeah. you feel. Makes me very angry. <laughs> exactly. He said, that's why Jesus said, how long do I have to suffer with you? Basically, you fools have got on my last nerve. Yeah. Yeah. But as a result of that, and this is where theologians may get me, Jesus, I don't believe Jesus was saying peace be still to the atmosphere because the atmosphere wasn't bothering him. It was mm. the people. He said peace be still to the disciples. The atmosphere, because of who Jesus is, had to in order to facilitate the disciples being quiet and coming into an understanding of who they were riding with. Mm. But as a result of their disobedience, mm. They, were, they could not do miracles on the other side. Jesus' sleep was more, more, more important than their unrest. That's fascinating. I've not heard so, that. I don't think that right. Jesus many times said, I'll meet you on the other side because where I'm going, there was times he separated himself. Yeah. No different than being on a plane. If you're on a plane for a secular world, on a plane, they tell you if you lose this cabin pressure, put the oxygen mask on you before the person next to you, even if it's your own child, because if you put it on the woman next to you, you die. You'll both die. That's true. So it's okay to be selfish. Mm-hmm. It's the motive that determines whether it's, it's, it's an appropriate thing or not. Mm-hmm. But if I'm doing something for myself for the right reasons, it's okay. The family is only as strong as the spousal system. If you guys need time to connect, to relax, release, relate, that should be the priority because anytime life is moving and you're not a priority in your own equation of life, Houston, there's a problem. Yeah. Because and that I, which you're going to sustain, you're not able to. Well, and I also feel like for this generation, I don't know how to say it, but I know so many parents, you know, in my age group or different things who feel, I feel like we grew up thinking or started raising our children where it was like, we were having to entertain them all the time, you know, or being entertaining them, making sure everything's uh-huh. okay with them. And it was like their first, or it's like we somehow something shifted and all the, the emphasis on raising children and being, doing everything immediately for them first, instead right. of maintaining or, um, uh, creating that sense of space for the relationship, for the caregiver. Correct. What, what, I, what I share with parents all the time is raising children is preparing them not to be home. Mm. That means they have to learn no. They're going to have to learn wait. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to I'll be back in a little while. It's going to be okay. That teaches healthy connection, secure attachment style to know when they'll be connected and disconnected. Right. Right. So preparing your child not to be home because your child will be out in the in, in the world more than they're at home, Lord will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So therefore, we need to be preparing them for what they're going to come across, not pacify them and set them up to be victims outside in the world. Yeah, that's very. Yeah, I think it's I'm curious what how where the shift happened and why that started. Part of it, part of it happened. Part of it happened because many of us said we want our children to have a better experience than what we had. Yeah. Right. But in doing so, we failed to recognize some of the adversities and the challenges we went through was what facilitated building our character, our coping skills and our resilience. I see one of the things, too, that I talk about a lot with parents is talking about helping your kids know coping skills, because I have so many conversations with young people who say we cannot deal with rejection. We don't know how to handle it. I'm like, well, everyone, I mean, rejection sucks for everyone, but they specifically are like, it it just, they can't find a space or know how to work through those emotions. So much so where I was at a retreat and 
we had asked the kids to do shadow shadow skits that so we didn't get to hear anything they just had to act everything out behind a screen mm-hmm. and they could pick from different categories of relationships and then we had to guess what was going on and i'm telling you everyone chose rejection <laughs> i was like i said why did you all choose rejection and they said that's what we have the hardest time with Right, but that goes back to family of origin and we pacifying our children. Yeah. As opposed to, no, you're not always going to hear yes because you're going to get to a job and, you know, you're going to get to a job and eight o'clock means eight o'clock. Nine o'clock means nine o'clock. Nobody cares if they, you think you're overworked. Mm-hmm. No, no, no one cares. Mm-hmm. That's where you're sending your child. So at home, you have to teach those coping skills of resilience and teach conflict resolution so that they're better equipped when they leave the house so you don't have 38-year-olds and 40-year-olds living in your house because they can't manage living on their own. Exactly. Yep. I wanted to ask, how do you see us changing as a society around the topic of sex? How, how I see us changing is I, I, I think that life, the evolution of life is already happening because, you know, the younger people, the, each generation, younger people ask more complex and difficult questions mm-hmm. and they consistently push the envelope. Yeah. Now, as, as a society, we're becoming more tolerant in sexual expression and so forth. That will facilitate it, but it's for people like you, people like me, people that are in our industries to continue to promote it and normalize it. Mm-hmm. Where we go, I, I intentionally go to churches and speak to church people. Yeah. Um, I'm doing, I've, yeah, I'll go almost anywhere. No, I have gone everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm doing on May 19th. Uh, I'm a cigar smoker. Don't judge me. I, <laughs> I'm not judging. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cigar smoker. And they're having, every state, they're having like cigar week. But I'm having a two-hour talk with cigars, whiskey, and sex talk. Oh, nice. And we're going to talk about, you know, gender gender issues, uh, the, you know, why we're having a, a challenge in relationships, things of that nature. So now from here, here it is as opposed to just talking about cigars and whiskey, we're, we're going to drink cigars, smoke cigars, drink whiskey. I won't be drinking. Mm-hmm. But... Not that I don't, but on that setting, I'll be a therapist, so I can't right. drink it. <laughs> yes. so, Conflict. So, right, but we'll be doing that. And again, it's by taking the opportunity, going to unique venues, giving people a voice, and by normalizing yeah. all things sexual, most things, all things sexual, based on one's preference, at least it, we should be able to have a talk and be able to conversate. We're supposed to be rational adults here. Mm. So we should be able to normalize it. Hey, because think about this. The two things they don't want to talk about in church is sex and money. But those are the two things people want the most about. But we won't. We don't want to talk about sex and we don't want to talk about money. Uh, I am like saying hallelujah to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm the one. I'm, I'm the different one. I'm the one who will talk about all of those things. Yeah. It don't matter. <laughs> Why? Because we have to take the cloaks off of it so we can grow as people. We can have the financial acumen that we want. We can have the quality of life that we want yeah. and not be burdened with the stigmas or, or, or all of the, the negatives that we hear about natural things in life. Mm-hmm. I will say I grew up, um, you know how people say, don't talk about sex, politics, or religion. Mm-hmm. And I, t- I would tell my friends, I'm like, that's like the only thing my family talks about. <laughs> <laughs> my extended family would get together. We would have all those conversations and we would fight and argue, but it was very, I mean, it was interesting, right? Like, right, I No, it is, but, but hear me. It, it's stimulating. It's nice to have a passion. It's nice to believe, mm-hmm. but it's also okay to be challenged in what you believe. Oh, yeah. To make sure you believe what you believe. And is your belief system really based on what you really believe and based in truth? Exactly. But, uh, but how, do you, how do you be able to, how are you able to grow if you can't be challenged? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think every, I mean, that's why I feel like um, when we don't, uh, sit down with other people who, who share different beliefs, then I kind of, I feel like we do ourselves a disservice because 
we have to learn and grow from one another and we have to correct. other people's correct. perspectives. Correct. correct. I, I, it's imperative. Mm-hmm. You know, Bible's clear. Iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. You know, forsake not the fellowship of the believers. Why? So we can communicate, converse, and grow yeah. as individuals and as a body. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, Todd, what story are you reframing in your life currently? Wow, that's a big question. Yeah. I like those. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. You know, um, you know, at my stage of life, I thought I was packaged kind of well and dealt with a lot of things. Um, however, I've just found out that I may have some mommy issues. Really? Yeah, I may have some oh. mommy issues. <laughs> and and you know what it is, is that I've, irrespective of how I was raised and the things that I encountered, I always gave my mother a pass to no matter what was done. Hmm. Because she was the parent that stayed. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but obviously with my father, I was able to, at 30 years old, have a come to Jesus with him and we have a healthy relationship. But I've really never addressed my mother in some of the, how she, my perspective, raised us through guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Okay. And put probably an adult people's responsibility on a child. Yeah, And it's not to villainize her by any stretch of the imagination, but that had a rippling effect on me in regards to how I see myself, how I see others, mm-hmm. and may be hindering me in areas that I choose to grow and wonder why I'm stagnant. Mm-hmm. So actually, I'm coming to a point where I understand, as opposed to carrying the, the pain or the shame or guilt associated to it, it's really beginning to reframe it as it was a necessary step in the journey for me to be the person I am today. Mm. Why? Because by pushing through all of those adversities and those challenges, if that was my 40 years on the backside of the wilderness like Moses, mm. that qualified me to be who I am today to lead the people through the wilderness. Mm. Yeah. So remember what, what what's meant for what man means for 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 bad, God means for good. Mm-hmm. And people can only do the best they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, there were coping skills, there were strategies, there's a will that I've developed. So as opposed to looking back at it and being resentful, it's more so thank you, God, because I like who I've become. Mm-hmm. And that's a piece to my story that facilitated that learning and that growth. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to dreading it or having issue with her is to understand that she went through, she did what she did and, and, and wrestled with what she wrestled with, which was transferred to me. But this was for a move that's much greater that my children don't have to live through it and that I've been delivered through it to be utilized for what I believe God has called me to do mm-hmm. and to be the part of the solution to the ills of society. Yeah. But had I not been through adversity, would I be qualified? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, it's like we always gain insight from that, right? I think when, we, like you said before, when we've had struggles or if we've experienced certain things, we also form a sense of compassion and understanding and empathy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. No doubt. Because I, I consider one's testimony, I call it tenderizer. It facilitates you being human. Yeah, it does. And be able to connect with people's stories. And they don't just connect to you because you're listening. They can feel that you get it. Because mm-hmm. I got a testimony of my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people know, right? People know when well, you're feeling them. And when right. Exactly. And exactly. That makes them. And that brings that whole thing of us being. Right. Connected. Exactly. Again, it normalizes. it. Hey, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. Yeah. I have a right to feel and it's okay. I have a right to be impacted, but I don't have to stay there. I can move. Right. Exactly. So Todd, we're almost out of time. I can't believe how fast this went. <laughs> well, thank so you fast. again. It's, it's always a pleasure to connect well, with you. Where can people find you um, in terms of, because uh, you're in North Carolina, correct? Correct. And and I have an office here in Huntersville, North Carolina. Huntersville, North Carolina. It's right outside of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, they can reach me at 704-937-2286 mm-hmm. or com. Or you can go find us on Inner Peace Counseling Center on Facebook or Instagram. We're innerpeace underscore cc. Cool. Well, thank you for your wisdom. I always so much from you and I just appreciate you so much. Oh, I I applaud you as well. Continue to do the outstanding work that you're doing. It's it's needed. Thank you. And you do it with excellence. So I'm proud of you. you.